Hi, today's Bible reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, and two verses from chapter 56. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food, and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. I will make, it permanent, I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindnesses of David. Since I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples, so you will summon a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you will run to you. For the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way, and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, so he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will freely forgive. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your, your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return, there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. You will indeed go out with joy and be peacefully guided. The mountains and the hills will break into singing before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, a cypress will come up, and instead of the briar, a myrtle will come up. This will stand as a monument for the Lord, an everlasting sign that will not be destroyed." This is what the Lord says, Preserve justice and do what is right, for my salvation is coming soon and my righteousness will be revealed. Happy is the person who does this, the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Well, good morning. It's great to be back uh, with you this morning. I feel like I haven't preached for a little while. Um, enjoyed a little break, but uh, Christmas is upon us, and it's a joy to um, lead us in this last uh, talk in our Advent series as we anticipate Christmas uh, with the ancient people um, of Israel, uh, but of course on this side of Jesus, anticipate the fullness of his salvation in Jesus' return. Now, as I mentioned, Christmas is upon us. Who, who's feeling on top of it? Anyone? Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, the Christmas banquet. That's, kind of what, that's one of the things I think of straight away when I think of Christmas. It's not far away. Uh, and I can almost taste it. Uh, I particularly enjoy that moment of uh, sort of having preached kind of that, that sermon on Christmas Day, sort of feel like I finished the year, have a big feed and just sort of slump. Uh, that, that's kind of typically what happens uh, while the kids run right. Now, in the meantime, until sort of now and then, Kill and I have been sort of uh, wading our way through watching various Christmas movies of various kind of, you know, 
goodness. Uh, Mostly they've been terrible. Uh, The idealised version of the Christmas banquet is so cliched, is it not? Every kind of Christmas movie has this kind of like scene, often at the end, after kind of, you know, traveling a bit of a, you know, thin journey. Uh, and there's this moment where, I mean, what are the ingredients of this banquet, right? We've got kind of like, you know, everyone laughing. Uh, we've got like the big turkey, you know, thanks America, um, or, or what the ham or whatever you've got in the middle. There's often snow outside. Uh, everyone's having a great time. What are some other ingredients of the Christmas, the cliched Christmas banquet? Can, th- can you think of any? What's that? Family. Family, yep. Pavlova, excellent, yep, very good. We get, we get the feel, right? Uh, now, for many of us, the reality of Christmas is going to be quite different to that uh, cliched Christmas banquet. We'll come back to that. We have to come back to that. Uh, but the idealized Christmas banquet, let's just stay with it for a little bit, as tacky as it is in the movies that portray it, the cliches that we speak of, still powerfully speaks to us. Because at the center of that cliched uh, Christmas banquet is a joy, is a real joy that we long for, is a connection and a belonging that we want to experience, a satisfaction and abundance that we want to tap into. Now, I've had multiple conversations with people in our community over the last week. Uh, even at a baptism I did uh, of Ash from Night Church on, a, on a Friday afternoon in Lake uh, Parramatta, uh, so, some, some randoms joined us and we got talking about sort of, you know, Christianity, Christmas, the meaning of Christmas. And it goes something like, you know, you know I think Christmas is all about the gathering, you know, being respectful, you know, having joy together. What do you say to that? Well, I want to say, actually, you're kind of right. That is at the centre of Christmas. But it's only half right, is it not? Because the true meaning of Christmas is actually how we get there. And so I wonder if we might be able to respond to people and say, yeah, I kind of agree with you. But I don't know about you, but my Christmas isn't quite like all that you speak of. And the true meaning of Christmas is that God has given us the gift in Jesus so that we might experience true joy, a true gathering, a rich satisfaction that can't be taken away. How might we find ways to bridge the kind of the meaning of Christmas that people have in their minds and the reality and the gift of Jesus Christ? Well, Isaiah 55, this last passage in our Advent series, speaks like many passages of Scripture of the kingdom of God being like a banquet. And I'm going to break this passage into thirds. Uh, I'm going to look at the free banquet invitation, the price paid and new creation. And as we work through these parts of the passage, I want you to have a confidence in the hope of salvation and be able to wait well. Is that not kind of helpful in Advent, to know in Jesus how to wait well? All right, let's dig in. The free banquet banquet invitation. Oh, you're kidding me. (laughs) We're having massive proclaim issues today. Uh, Maybe I'll just stay on that slide for the rest of the sermon. (laughs) Anyway, uh, open the scriptures with me. Uh, Those first verses speak of the free banquet invitation. Come everyone who is thirsty. Come to the water and you without silver. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Here is an invitation to the banquet. Come, 
I just wondered actually if, oh yeah, it doesn't, it's not working there, but working there. Very good, very good. Come is the invitation to this banquet. Now what we have in the description of this banquet is both a metaphor and a reality. Look at this first invitation. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. You know, one day when justice is served, when Jesus returns and all injustices are corrected and restoration is perfected, there will be a day when people no longer thirst for the basics such as water. Do you know one in three people across this world, one in three, do not have access to clean water? That is outrageous, is it not? Or we not burn with kind of a sense of injustice, of suffering. The invitation speaks to a time when everything sad will come untrue, where everybody is welcome to be supplied with the basics and where every righteous longing will be satisfied. Literally, no one in the new creation will be thirsty. Come, enjoy that, the invitation begs us to. But it's also a metaphor, is it not, to find satisfaction in the God who is now and forever, the one who is able to bring about this restoration, the one who has begun that work even now in Jesus. For Jesus captures this when he speaks to the woman at the well. He says, everyone who drinks this water, referring to the well, as he speaks to the Samaritan woman there, will be thirsty again. We know that. We have a drink of water. Uh, we go out in the hot sun like we did last Sunday afternoon, right? And we got thirsty again. We ran out of water, actually, right? Um, but whoever drinks the water I give them, Jesus says, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And he is speaking to a woman who is seeking out satisfaction in all kinds of things, particularly the five men that she's been, five husbands she's been with, right? And Jesus says, stop that. Come find satisfaction in me and you will not, uh, you will not burn with desire anymore. You, you will find your satisfaction in me and it will well up within you, welling up to eternal life. But this banquet invitation goes more than the basics. Look at what it says here. Those who come to God's banquet will, at the end of verse 2, enjoy the choicest of foods. This is a picture of abundance. For God is a God of abundant mercy, of abundant provision, of abundance of good gifts. For as James says in the New Testament, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. And if we know how to give good gifts ourselves, as Jesus will say, if a child asks for bread, what father gives that child a snake, how much more will our Heavenly Father give us good gifts when we ask? God is not stingy. He is a God of abundance, of goodness. It's just that we sit in the tension of following Jesus as He prays, not my will but yours, as he goes to the cross. We suffer in a broken world following the suffering servant because we trust that God's glory and his goodness is ultimately better and more abundant and more satisfying than anything else in this world. But perhaps a little bit deeper here, James is also the one who says of good gifts, we do not receive because we quarrel and fight. And I wonder if that's one of the things that you think of first when you think of the Christmas banquet, 
of family tensions, of quarreling, of fighting, and how the sin in our hearts spills over. As God holds out this free banquet invitation, He is calling us to a clarity of vision, to find the good gifts of the abundant Father and to stop searching out for satisfaction in other things. He says, stop wasting your time and money. What does it say here? Uh, Why do you spend, verse 2, why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? C.S. Lewis captures a bit of this in one of his essays when he says, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. God is calling us to come and receive His gift, to stop spending our money on other things that we think are going to satisfy us, but to find satisfaction and joy and peace at this banquet. The banquet that God is inviting us is like a holiday at the sea. Perhaps even like an all-expenses-paid wedding invitation to Bali or Fiji. Anyone had one of those? I've heard of them, but I haven't received one of those invitations. Uh, Don't spend your money at the KFC drive-thru, right? Uh, Take up this invitation to this all-expenses, extravagant and abundant feast. And it's free. I love the way Jess Moyo spoke in the uh, Attack Life update last week when she was calling us to kind of, uh, you know, to come to the, the Carol's Feast and invite people. She says, it's free, there's no... <laughs> Indeed, our hope for the Carol's Feast was that people would have a taste of God's abundance, His generosity, His hospitality, His free invitation. A number of people said to me, is it really free? As they lined up in the queues... Or as a person, as a couple, I've met most of my neighbours, but uh, there was some neighbours several doors down who I hadn't met before, and they were painting, and they heard the noise and commotion, so they thought they'd come on over. Then they saw the food, and they sort of tasted some, and they sat down, and and they just they just sat down, and and we had a conversation, and we enjoyed some time together, and and they marvelled at what was happening around them. Friends, we we want people to taste and see that the Lord is good. The invitation is then more sternly put. Pay attention, verse 3. Pay attention and come to me. Listen, so that you will live. This is not just kind of like, hey, there's this cool thing going on at God's house. You know, come hang out with him. He's got some good food. No, no. If you want to live, because the way that you are going, the satisfaction that you are seeking is leading you down a path away from God. And under judgment, but if you want to live, come, listen, receive, and I will make a permanent covenant with you. A covenant is one of those big theological ideas through Scripture that describes the treaty between two parties. Uh, Many covenants in the Old Testament describe the way that God pursued his people, and invited them into relationship, into covenant. But every time that covenant depended upon the obedience of God's people, it broke. Because God's people, all humanity, continue to reject God, do not live in righteousness, do not please God, 
For as Romans 3 will say, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, not even one. And so as Israel sat in exile, suffering the very predicament of another broken covenant, the temple raised to the ground, people exiled into a foreign land, God points them to an everlasting and permanent covenant, one where satisfaction will be found forever, one where everything sad will come untrue, one where everything will be perfected, where relationship will be restored, reconciliation made. He says, uh, God says at the end of verse 3, on the basis of the faithful kindness of David, I think this translation is a little bit unhelpful there. That faithful kindness uh, in Hebrew is chesed, which is another big word used throughout the Old Testament to describe God's covenantal faithfulness. Because He is the one that is faithful. God actually showed His chesed, His covenantal faithfulness to David. We know that David failed. As good as David was and as, as good as the glory was that Israel enjoyed under David, even he failed. But God's covenantal faithfulness and promise to David, there will be one who will sit on the throne forever, is now going to be perfected for those who come to this and receive this invitation. And when they do receive this invitation, he says, God says, you will summon a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you will run to you. Here we see a magnetic, attractive kingdom. For as much as they sit lowly and rejected and despised and ashamed, God is speaking of glorifying them when they receive this invitation. Uh, we know what it's like to be sinners saved by grace, like a beggar who has found food and now wanting to tell others where to find it. That's the description. When you come to this banquet and you find the grace of God, when you find your satisfaction in Him, how much do we want to invite others to experience that? We will summon nations as the Lord your God glorifies you. Have you accepted this invitation? Have you accepted this invitation, this, this invitation to a free banquet, to experience the, the wonder of the kingdom of God? But all this talk of free abundance, of Christmas banquets, it must deal with the reality of where we're at. For, for those in this room, for those on the internet, about to experience a difficult Christmas. We can't glibly speak of such wonderful banquets. For some of us will be forbearing the frustration of re re difficult relationships. You know that exhausting tension covered by thin smiles as thin as cheap wrapping paper. <laughs> Perhaps the first Christmas with a empty seat at the table of a loved one lost, or just another person uh, with COVID. I don't want to spend another Christmas in isolation. And in Israel's case, as they hear about this invitation, the extravagance, the expansive and attractive nature of it all, and what they're being invited to, they're experiencing a fracture, a shrinking. They sit in exile, this foreign land, the temple of the glory of God raised to the ground. They're lost, disoriented, angry, ashamed. Friends, Christian faith sits in the middle 
of knowing the reality of our broken world and our sinful part in it, and the brilliance of hope of all things restored. Christian faith and hope sits in the middle of these things and is able to hold them in tension. How are you sitting in the tension of these things? Especially in Advent. Our most common method of sitting in that tension is distraction, is it not? And I wonder how much of the modern phenomena of Christmas celebration is just that. A method of coping in the tension. Full of distraction and flashy presents and lots of money spent, lots of credit cards racked up with big bills. Also, we might distract ourselves from the reality of things and our inability to attain the hope that we long for. Friends, we are called to a godly disappointment when we're struggling in that tension. We are called to a godly longing and being able to wait well. I see a couple of things in this next part of the passage that will help us sit in that tension. Firstly, looking at verses 6 here, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Uh, There is an urgency in this, is there not? Seek the Lord while he may be found. That is, there will be a time when you cannot seek him. When Jesus returns, that is the time when you put your chips on the table. Will you have sought him out? Will you have put your faith in him? For we are told, while he is near. And is that not the way that Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God is near? as the king is present among people. Friends, in our struggles, ought we not lean into God to know him more, to lay before him our struggles, our our anguish, our frustrations, even at him perhaps. Seek the Lord. But but there's a particular way we are to seek him, we're told. Verse 7, let the wicked one Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will freely forgive. How are we particularly to approach the Lord? In faith and repentance. That that is how we seek the kingdom of God, in faith and repentance. As we trust in God, but also as we repent, as we abandon the ways of wickedness, as we acknowledge the ways that we so quickly depart from our Lord, how quickly we wander. I wonder for those who are feeling like God is distant, no doubt as Israel were, they felt like God had abandoned them, even though as God says, uh, while I am near, I I wonder how often that is because we simply have not repented We haven't brought forth out from our heart the dark things that are actually pushing us away from God. We ought not to be ashamed of these, but to come before our loving Father, to receive the invitation and to bring that out and say, God, I'm sorry for the way that I've disappointed you, but I know that you will freely forgive for you are a God of compassion. And this God who freely forgives has done so at great cost to himself. Have you thought about this? That the free invitation to the banquet, to the kingdom of God, it is free to us, but it has cost God dearly in the blood of his own son. 
uh, just as people experienced kind of a, a free Christmas carol feast last week, many labored with time and money to see that happen. Every free gift has a cost. And this cost is born in Jesus Christ, who died the sinner's death so that we might have life. That's what we looked at last week, was it not? The one who was silent, though he had every right to speak up and defend himself, remained silent. Uh, the one who uh, was sinful, uh, was sinless, sorry, uh, was, was pierced for our transgressions. And as we, as we follow this crucified Messiah, the suffering servant, we are told that God's ways are higher than ours. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. So much of our waiting, if we're going to do it well, is a trusting that God really has this. That God's ways, although they might feel mysterious to us or might we have to be patient more than we ought or, or even as He doesn't give us the things we long for, even if they're good things, we have to trust that His thoughts are not our thoughts. For He is God and we are not. And we are dependent on Him. His ways are not my ways. Oh, my, my, prayers, my, my answered prayers would, would sort of look so different if I was God, but I am not. And I have to trust that God's ways are better. And I keep going back to the way he vindicated the prayer of his son when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And when we feel abandoned, when we feel like our ways are not uh, coming to, to the kind of the ways that we would want, let us look to the way that God raised Jesus from the dead. And perhaps we might take up a habit of reflection and even confirmation to be able to look back and say, yes, God's ways are better than my ways, that His, way, His thoughts are not my thoughts. And then we're told that God's purposes will be completed and we are called to trust that. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth, says the Lord, will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. Friends, we are called not only to receive this invitation to a free banquet, but we are called to put our faith in the Lord, the Sovereign Lord, whose purposes will be seen through to completion, for His Word will not return empty. And then that brings us to our final piece, the joy of renewed creation. Look at the way that, uh, that, that God brings us through from receiving this invitation, offering the invitation, begging us to receive it, uh, through to, to, to calling us to repentance and wrestling in the tension of, of the now and not yet, through to the picture of what it will be when, when God does complete His purposes. He says, you will indeed go out with joy and be peacefully guided. The mountains and hills will break into singing before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, a cypress will come up. And instead of the briar, a myrtle will come up. This will stand as a monument for the Lord, an everlasting sign that will not be destroyed. I love to be out in creation. I love to sort of be amongst the, uh, whether it be the beach or, or, or amongst the, the bush. There is a peace and a joy of being just small 
in God's big creation, to see the wonder of the way that he has created this world. But this is, this is a fantastical picture. For the mountains and hills will, will break into singing before you, before us. All of creation will, will kind of shout not only God's praises, but welcome us, clap towards us. And, and as we walk through this, this renewed creation, there will be no more thorns. They will be replaced with, with other wonderful things, cypresses, myrtles. It is a beautiful picture, ultimately a renewal of all creation. And I love this, this piece of art here. I couldn't find uh, anywhere on the internet kind of where, where this came from or who did it. But, but I love this, this picture of, of Jesus at the center of heaven, of heaven and earth gathered. And at the center there is this banquet and, and everyone is, is shouting the praise of the Lord Jesus, is gathered content, rejoicing. This is what God will see through to completion because He is a God of His Word. He's a God of faithfulness. He has set an enduring and permanent covenant in His Son, the Lord Jesus, who offers us an invitation to come to this banquet. And as 56, chapter 56 begins, God says, For my salvation is coming soon, He says to Israel. This salvation that, I, that I'm describing, this renewed creation, it is coming soon, so be ready. But of course, this is where Advent is different to us, this side of the cross, right? Because Simeon, uh, the, the priest in the temple that, that Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus to, says these very words. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. You may now dismiss your servant in peace, he says. Friends, the salvation that, that God is speaking of to Israel, we have seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. The new creation project has begun, for we have now been reconciled back to the Father through Jesus Christ. We are being offered peace and satisfaction and forgiveness and new life now. And yet we know also that that will be perfected when Jesus Christ returns and when we enjoy this banquet face to face with our Lord and all of renewed creation. Friends, how are you waiting this Advent? How are you waiting in the tension of all things being kind of frustrated by sin? Can I ask you to take up the fullness of this invitation? To enjoy the peace and satisfaction that it is on offer? To seek out our Lord in faith and repentance? And to keep our eyes fixed, not on the distractions of Christmas, but on our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the true meaning of Christmas. Let us wait well. Let us hope well. And let us enjoy the fullness of salvation to come as we follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. You tell us that it will not return to you empty, but that you will sow into our hearts a word that will spring up, words of life. And so for those in this room, those watching online who are weary and troubled, would you speak a word of comfort to them? For you promise that for those who are weary, they will find rest in you. For those who are full of joy and Christmas hope, 
center us on the Lord Jesus. Not on things that silver will buy, but on that gift you have given us in Jesus Christ. So call us to yourself that we might be able to summon nations because of the glory you have shown us in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.